Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. The health club industry in Australia is worth a massive $2.2 billion. I can't believe that. But that's the number with more than 3,500 clubs running gyms and fitness classes across the countryside. So today, I'm joined by Drew Mitchell. Now, Drew is the Australian head of a company called E-Squared Fitness. Drew is a former rugby union player who played for the Wallabies for 10 years before retiring just last season. So E-Squared Fitness is an online marketplace that connects fitness classes and gyms with consumers. That's right, consumers as users of those gyms and fitness classes. So you can book, if you're a consumer, things like yoga classes, cycle classes, any workout by looking around for clubs near you by using the app. It launched in London and is now here in Australia and getting lots of traction. So I want to talk to Drew about how he got involved, but I want to go even back further. I want to go back to his childhood, how he grew up, how he was formed, how his story was built, how he took being a sportsman into being into the business of sport. I want to know why he's bringing this business E-squared to Australia and how the business model works. So let's get into it. Drew Mitchell, welcome to The Mentor. Mate, before we start talking um, about you know your E-squared business, sure. uh, I just want to know a little bit about yourself. Uh, it always intrigues me how people can turn from being a sports person to being in the business of sports. That's totally, they're totally different uh, leaps of faith. Sure. But let's go back to your sporting days. Let's go back to school. Okay, yeah. Where'd you okay. go to school? Uh, so I, um, my father was in the army, so I went to six different primary schools. So I, uh, I think for me, change was something I became very accustomed to. Um, Let me stop you there. Yeah. That's interesting. You become accustomed to change. Some, some people get fret about, oh, the kids have got to move from this school to that school. I mean, one of the things you get from change is resilience to yeah. change. Yeah, sure. Um, do you think you've got some resilience to change? In other words, you become a bit more resilient because yeah, you had to do that? I, I think so. I mean, that was that was pretty much, that was all I knew. I didn't have anything else necessarily to compare it to. And, and back in those days, it was difficult as well to stay in contact with you know my my friends and stuff when I when I'd move uh, interstate and things because social media wasn't what it is today. So um, you know, and the, and the pen pal Thank thing, God. yeah, the pen pal thing usually lasted one or two letters each, and that usually sort of um, waned away. So did you ever get traumatized by it? Like, I mean, did you ever sort of sort of you know hanging on to your mum's leg, say, "Mum, don't take me out of the school"? Or no, you okay I was actually it was quite the opposite. When I went to my secondary school, I, I stayed in the same school for five years, and after two years, I remember being really uncomfortable, and you know, to the point where I was really upset that. I felt like I needed to change. Like I, it just became my wow. norm. And, uh, and in some ways, um, which I'm sure we'll get into my professional career is, you know, pretty much mirrors my upbringing in terms of, I, I've played for a number of different clubs. I've, I've moved into state quite a number of times. So for me, after two to three years, a challenge and a change was something that I, I really sought, like I sought out. That's interesting. So some people would say they get traumatized by it. And what you're saying is in your case, um, well, or, or at least they be, would be unsettled by it and they'd never got an opportunity to settle into something. In your case, you were saying to me, it became part of your story. And yeah. as a result of becoming part of your story, it's um, actually helped you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think even like going into new teams, you're always going to new teams, whether it be a, a representative team where you don't know everyone or you're changing clubs for the you know the first time. Um, you have to find your way. You need to find where you fit. Um, you you know, you've got to have a good understanding of the, the dynamic of the group already that's pre-existing but then where you can fit into it and how you can add to it. And, and I think, um, you know, for me, changing classrooms all the time, changing schools, environments and that type of thing, like really 
I guess, gave me the tools to to be comfortable doing that uh, later in my life. So. It's interesting because like people, um, and I, I'm a I'm a believer in what you say. Um, I, I some people say, oh, I had to take Johnny to. Uh, you know, down to the basketball, and he's never played basketball before, and there's all these kids that Johnny didn't know, and um, and as a result of that, I, f- I feel sorry for. You know, they say they feel sorry for Johnny, their mummy him a little bit, um, mm. or, or daddy him a little bit. Sure, the way it is. Uh, for me, throwing him in the deep end is a good idea. Yeah, because I think I don't know, maybe it's unfair or cruel or something, but it's sort of sink or swim. I mean, if, yeah. if they don't make it, then they don't make it. Then you can give him a hug. Yeah, of course. But prior to that, don't be making a big deal about it. You say, go on, get in there, get in there, go on, get, hang out with the other yeah. kids, do your best. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, kids certainly, you know, they are quite resilient. And, you know, sure, it might be uncomfortable at first um, or there'd be some teething problems over a period of time. But if you don't know what the problem is, whether it be, you know, one particular kid or, you know, them just not feeling like they're, you know, they're fitting in well, then you don't know necessarily what to address. Whereas if you if you let them go and do it, and then you speak to them and talk to them. You know what is it that's making you upset? Then you can actually go and address that rather than just not do, not not let, allowing them to build and, yeah, and uh, sort of put putting a pillowcase around. Can yeah. I ask you? Are you are you the sort of person? Have you always been the sort of person though with an open mind? In other words, are you someone open to try anything? Is that how you've always been? As opposed to getting your head your head all sort of stuck in stuck in sort of getting all nervous and stressed out and anxious about the thing I mean like what's your deal um I, I'd much prefer to just try it um you know go in and, and put myself in a position even if I'm uncomfortable about it um you know the I guess even like the thought of something that's completely new out of my comfort zone sometimes it can be you know it can give you that anxiety and it can give you um you know a level of stress or whatever but then you know you're always going to find your way right I mean if you if you put yourself in that and you and you apply yourself then at some point, you're going to find your way, and you know whether that be, you know, you're needing to to ask for help um, or you know some some assistance at some point. Um, you know, I think that's really important. But by not doing it, certainly don't grow. It's easier said than done, isn't it? Though it's yeah. sort of like the Nike um, sort of rule: just do it, as opposed to thinking about it. Mm. Is it? Um, what is your? I mean, I'm I'm just curious as to your thought process. Yeah. When someone says to you. Um, Okay, we're gonna go. We're moving from this area to the next area. Um, you're gonna go to a new school, um, and maybe there's a new footy team you're gonna play for. Yeah. Because um, we're in a totally different area. What was your thought process? Did you think about it, or just say, "No, I'm just gonna go along with it"? Yeah, I mean, because it happened to me right from right from the beginning. I was born when my father was based at Holsworthy here in uh, Liverpool and Sydney, um, and then I moved to Townsville, and then I moved to Victoria. Like it just it just became like I didn't know any different. So. Um, I didn't really have a, I mean, obviously I didn't have a choice in the matter. My parents made those decisions based on my dad's career. And, um, I don't know, I, I just, I, I really enjoyed sports. So I made sure that, you know, wherever I went and not so just me, but my parents would put my brother, my two older brothers and myself into, into sports just because I think that's a great, um, I guess, vehicle to kind of, uh, meet new people, you know, feel comfortable in your new environment. And, and also I think, you know, I think for me, it's you know it gives you a lot of tools, um, you know, in in day to day life. Like, what happens if you weren't a good sportsman though? What, what do you, how do you think you would have dealt um, with it if you weren't good at sport? Well, I mean, it's, I don't know necessarily if the being good at it at that point really mattered. It was probably just that I enjoyed it, um, and you know maybe that's because I was good at. it. I'm not sure, but um, you know when you when you enjoy something that where you're going to, then you know obviously you apply yourself and 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 then from that you you get friends and. You know, you, you you start to formulate a bit of a circle and that type of thing. So, I mean, I don't know if in those early days it was ever, a, I guess, it really hinged on the fact that I was good. I think it was just that I really enjoyed doing it, that uh, that allowed me to go in to those environments and 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 be myself and and you know find friends and and uh, and settle. Because the same thing happens in business when you t- take on a new business, or you take on a new career move, or yeah. you take on a you start up a new business, or you enter into a new business as a partner, or whatever. Um, you you sort of get out of your comfort zone pretty quickly. Yeah, and you are forced to actually make friends around your business environment. Yeah, and uh, how much of do you think of what you learned about yourself and what you experienced yourself growing up, moving from city to city and from team to team? How much of that do you, and, and experience in the sporting mm-hmm. environment, how much of that do you think you took out of that to go into business? Yeah, I think a, a tremendous amount. I think, um, you know, from when I'm moving so much throughout my my upbringing and also my, my professional career, I think, you know, I became, 
I know probably something it was a little um, something happening subconsciously, but then now it's something I'm more aware of. But you know, I would trust quick, and you know, I'd I'd, I'd give What's someone. What's What do you mean? You'd trust so quick? I would I would give someone my trust, and and to the moment where they either misused it or they you know they they cherished it. So rather than you know, there's I guess there's one train of thought where you know you got to allow people to build that trust, and you you know you're very coy, and you you know you don't really give away too much or uh, or you know, until they get to that point where, okay, I can fully trust this person as opposed to I'm going to give you my trust and it's now up to you. Don't fuck it what up. you do with it, yeah. And if you do, then, you know, that, that means, yeah, we're done. So yeah. um, I, I think when... That's, that's an interesting mindset. Uh, uh, quick to give trust, yeah, but quick to cut if yeah. it's abused or as opposed to slow to give trust and the build up. Yeah. Um, but the problem with that slow to give trust and the build up period is that others might just say that this kid's too hard to get, this person, yeah. kid, person, yeah. is too hard to get close to, I'm not going to really invest in them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that can be it because, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're a kid growing up, um, it can be pretty cutthroat. Like, you know, I mean, you know, we, like, I think in terms of the whole, like the bullying thing or whatever, I don't know necessarily if kids know the impact that they could potentially have, but it is a pretty cutthroat world when you're the new kid going into a school when there's already, um, you know, cliques and things mm. that are already established and you're the guy that's trying to, you know, infiltrate or whatever it might be. Um, you know, so if you don't, uh, for me, I just found that it was never to my benefit being the guy that took a long time to to find or to get, you know, to for people to get to know me. Otherwise um, you'd be out on your own. Yeah, exactly. You'd yeah. be sitting out there in the corner. Yeah. Have, do you ever, do, do you recall any incidents at school um, where there were cliques and you had to try and break into the cliques? I mean, we're like, yeah, because you grew up in Queensland. I mean, yeah. I, I have a little bit of experience with Queensland and that can be a little bit more like that than yeah. New South Wales because New South Wales has a bit more, bit more geography, a bit more variation. Yeah. Queensland has, well, you're not from here. You're very parochial. Yeah. You and see it, that in state of origin. Probably. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, most certainly, but also like with, with some footy teams, um, you know, like you'd go there and they'd have their, you know, like the, the go-to guys, the guys are always, you know, like it's the best players and all that type of thing. And, and from that, they have their little cliques within a team. Um, the because, senior group. Yeah, and and but when you're when you're a kid, kind of growing up, eleven, twelve, they're also the guys that you hang out with after school when you get on your push bikes and you know until the lights come on, and, you know the street lights come on. That was always time for so me to go home. home. Yeah. Um, but so they they were hard cliques to get into. Um, and what did you do? Uh, you get, for me, I just I think you know in, in that regard, like the football clique, is prove myself. Yeah. And. And then so you're when, talking on the field. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but at school is different. Um, you know, I was the guy that I uh, like. Uh, I wear glasses, and I never used to like it at school. I thought, you know, that was just an opportunity for someone to pick on me. So, um, usually, the first uh, parent-teacher interview, my mum would ask the teacher if I'm wearing my glasses, and the teacher would usually respond with, "Drew has glasses." Um, so, and the answer is no. Yeah, yeah. So straight after that, I'd be up the front and with my glasses on. So, um, but little things where I felt like it would maybe stop me from being able to you know, get in the click, I, I would sort of self-manage and, and, uh, you know, sometimes probably to my detriment because I was squinting from the back of the class or something, but, um, I don't know, I just, I found my, I found, I found ways to adapt and, and to, um, to, to fit in quickly. Is, I was going to say that that's interesting. You found ways to adapt because it's like you're in survival mode. Yeah. When you're in that survival mode in your mindset, when you're in survival mode, um, I think you make best decisions because you know yourself best. Yeah, yeah. Whether you're a kid or otherwise, survival mode is actually quite a powerful thing. Yeah. Um, because that's our basic instinct to survive. And it's the same happens in business. Sometimes I think I'm best in my business when I got my back to the wall. Yeah, sure. Or I'm sitting on the ropes. Yeah. And, you know, and you know, you're moving away, catching them. Yeah. Um, and I, I sometimes regret that because I think, well, Mark, maybe you're just lazy when times are good and when yeah, times sure. are, you're better when times are bad. I don't know, but... I just know I'm much more powerful when I'm in survival mode. Yeah. How, how does that, like as a as a, a, a former sportsman at a high level, mm -hmm. you know, like, we, you know, we, you did play for the Wallabies, you played yeah. for the Queensland Reds, you played for the Waratahs, and these are the highest levels of rugby union in this country. Do you, What do you think of that proposition, survival mode versus those guys who can get out there and no matter what mode they're in, they're just brilliant? Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, it goes back to something you said earlier about having the the time to think about it. I think when you're in survival mode, sometimes you don't, you're not, you don't have the ability or the time to calculate all the risk and you know all that type of thing, which can sometimes steer you away from something. Um, it might be what your gut's feeling, but you, you you can some ways talk your way out of it because you, you've got time to think about it. And I think when you when you're in that survival mode, you've just got to trust yourself and your instincts. And and I think you know, and everyone always says trust your gut, but everyone always says it because there's there's you know there's something in that. Um, there's real power in that because um, you know in, in 
sometimes we, we talk our way out of that because we have too much time to think. So I think for me, um, survival mode, even like in my, in, in my rugby career, like split second decisions on high pressured situations, sometimes you just got to go with. But how much is that about practice though? So, so because, um, I mean, two things I, I mean, I have some experience in, uh, survival mode in terms of sport myself and, yep. uh, and one of the things I know about it is you won't make the right survival decision if you're not relaxed mm-hmm. and breathing properly. Yeah, sure. And, and then the next decision you make is usually something you've practiced a lot. Yeah. If you're in survival mode and you panic, generally speaking, you won't execute yeah. whatever it is you've got to escape. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how do you, did you experience the same thing? I mean, and, and, I mean because I, I think listeners are, would be really interested to hear about how a, a high-level professional sports person has experienced how to survive best and is it and this relaxation um yeah uh, for me uh, um it's trust your prep um you know we we'd spend all week you know for all all season pre-season all these types of uh, periods of time well where, let's go through that yeah. this is important let's yeah. just go through pre-season season yeah. and then that week's prep and then the day's prep yeah we, we break it down i mean give it give it to me the pre-season right so, so pre-season um Often we wouldn't touch the footy for a number of weeks. It would just all be conditioning, you know, build that foundation for you, for the body, whether it be strength and conditioning or, or your cardio, that type of stuff. Um, and then we'd start to integrate, you know, some ball work. And obviously that's when the skill stuff comes into it. Um, but then also uh, we a lot of all the training and decision-making is done under fatigue because, um, you know, yeah. you can make the decisions. This is what survival's about. Yeah, exactly. fatigue. Yeah. And by the way, same in business. Yeah, exactly. You get yeah. completely fucked and you are completely fatigued in business. Sure. Deal fatigue or whatever fatigue is and you've got to make the right decision. Yeah. But it comes down to your preparation. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's just take me back. Yeah. It's okay. I really want to know because and, – and what sort of people they bring in to test you out on these things, at these high levels of rugby? Are they bring in sports scientists? I mean, what are they doing? Yeah, I mean, some to – you know, in, in some environments I was in, they, they'd bring in sports scientists or, or, or psychologists to, to a degree. But um, I think that, you know, that's probably another conversation in terms of I the, – right, right at the very end of my career when I – decided to retire was the time I engaged in a therapist. And um, that would be one thing that I would have changed had I known the impact that it had not only on my football, but just on in the, my, my balance in life itself. And, uh, and I guess how I don't know, being on top of that area of my life then helped me with different facets of my life as well. So that would be one thing. Tell I, me how. how well, I, I just think that um, it gave me a better understanding of who I was. So, perhaps something that happened to me as a child then impacts the way I see things or respond to things now as, a, as an adult. But I didn't, I never knew why I was doing that until I actually was able to break it down and, and get a better understanding of um, how impactful that moment was and how, uh, I guess, again, how impactful it's been on every other situation going example? forward. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, just how like emo- my emotional response to something may have happened because at this moment and, you know, you, you take it back and, I was either like really embarrassed or, you know, like in front of all my peers and that type of thing. So straight away puts up a wall and I, that, that just, um, it stopped me from, um, I don't know, seeing things as clearly as it was. It, I might, straight away I just put up this, like this blockage or an emotional wall that would stop me from being able to just move on from it or, or, or not take, um, that baggage into to my next thing. And so understanding that at the back end of my career was, I mean, sure it's, it's great now, like going forward, but. I, I think it would have been really beneficial. That's why I tell a lot of the guys that I speak to now who are engaged in, in footy, I was like, go and speak to someone. Not not necessarily about like, not a sports like, like therapist or anything, but just, you know, one in life. I said, because, you know, from the moment we're born, someone teaches you how to, how to you know, walk and talk and crawl and math, you know, English, all the rest of it. Then when you're going through how to kick a footy, how to pass a footy. So we've had teachers or coaches in life throughout our whole life, but we don't have a, a, I guess, a coach or a teacher in life itself. And those people that we rely on that advice and, and that learning, uh, we, we get from our, our, our family, like our parents. And of course their advice is going to be, it's going to be biased, right? So they may not necessarily be giving you the advice you need to hear, but the advice that they think is best for you. And so I thought, you know, well, I'm just going to go and engage in a therapist or a life coach as such so that they can help me with decisions or, or advice sometimes the advice that I don't want to hear, but what I need to hear. And, and, you know, for me, it's been really beneficial uh, because I was, I'd made the decision in France. I was going to retire. So I was going into, uh, you know, I'd had the security of school for 12 years and then I had a security of 
barring career-ending injury, of a rugby career for 10 to 15 years. And this is the first time I'm going into an environment that I have no stability, no, um, I, I guess, safety net of knowing that I'm going to be doing something for any period of time. So that was, you know, somewhat giving me uh, some, some anxiety. France? This was only in France last yeah, year. Yeah. Uh, plus I was um, going moving home from France back to Australia. So I had all these like quite significant life-changing decisions or events coming up that I thought, you know, I'm, and also hearing from former teammates and other sporting people, you know, from all around the world, that when you retire, you can, you know, there's potential to hit these dark times and the, these potholes along your along your journey. That, did you ask questions? Did you ask people? Yeah, yeah, I did. And so I thought, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and go and speak to someone to help me. Is there a platform for this? Um, you know what? There, there's it's certainly better than it was when I first started, but there's I still think there's there's um, leaps and, and bounds that we need to get to. But I thought I'd I'm better off. Um, getting the tools to to see the potholes and avoid them as opposed to hitting them and then having to How'd get my way out of them. in the first place? Really? Like, why did you know there was potholes coming up? I well, know. I just, I mean, I don't know necessarily what those potholes could have been. I just thought that there was, I was in, I had a lot of things going on in my life in terms of, you know, um, uh, you know, career changing, uh, moving back home, all these types of things that I just, I thought that I was a candidate for, you know, certain things not going along the, the trajectory that I would have liked them to go because I didn't know what was next. I didn't retire with a plan outside of outside of footy. So I thought I'm going to do the best I can to at least give myself the tools to avoid some of those holes. And, um, you know, I think that, that's been really beneficial, but also even the back end of my footy career, it just helped me kind of like, I don't know, break things down and, and you know, become clearer in going into uh, you know, in some life coach. So, did ha- where, yeah. So, where, I mean, did, it, tell me where I, the life coach came in. Which part? Back when you got back to Australia from France, or whilst you're still in France? Uh, I mean, I engaged with them in in France, but then was face to face with them once I got back here to Australia. Tell me about um, it. So, so you're thinking? Did they get you to think about the, that there would be potholes, or did you already think there's potholes? And I'm going to talk to a life coach. No, I just thought that there was potential for potholes. I don't know what those might have been. Um, you know, whether it be you know depression or or you know like not feeling um, you know your your worth or um, you know, not knowing your identity now that I don't, I'm not that Drew Mitchell, the rugby player. All these types of things that. Yes, in other words, who 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 defines me? What defines me? Yeah, exactly. And all those things, I I. So like, tell me what the life coach told you. Really. Yeah, well, I mean, it was, it's I, I mean, I use the term life coach just because I, I feel like it, it breaks that stigma of terms of like you know the therapist go in, sit on a lounge, and you know everyone yeah. has a cry and some you know and, and sure I've done that like, yeah. but um I, I just use that term as life coach when I talk to some of the guys because you know in some ways softening the the language around it can help with breaking the stigma to it. So, um, but it, it, it's, it's everything like it's, you know, we'll start talking about something and then something becomes, you know, aware, okay, this is something that's affecting me. So then we start to break it down and, and it could be things that have happened, you know, from when I was, when I was a young kid or, or even, you know, breakups when I was, you know, um, in my twenties or something, you know, like there's, there's so many different things, I suppose. I mean, so many different events in life that affect us and shape us to who we are. We'll but build our story. About it build ourselves. our story, but and and sometimes to has a detrimental effect. But we don't know necessarily why at thirty four I'm still acting the same way as I did from something that happened to me when I was seventeen or something. But now what I do is I you know by just speaking about it, understanding it, because even like for a kid, when I see an event, um, you know, like a an undeveloped, immature mind can can morph it into something much more significant than actually what the event was. Um, you know, so even when I recall on things that happened when I was a kid now, I've developed them into something. Perhaps it wasn't even actually that. But yeah, that not that's, really, but it's that not really was, a good problem. But memory. my emotional response is from what I actually built it up and to you, be in my mind as yeah, opposed yeah. to what it actually was in real life. Could you, I mean, look, I'm going to ask you quick. Sure. Like, um, right now, our listeners listening to these are more, yeah. these are quite platitudinal. I mean, do you mind giving me one example? Would you share one example of something um, that may have affected you when you were a kid that, Forms you a little bit, and you realise, hang on, that doesn't—that's not what actually happened. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, there's, there's a number, I suppose. But is there one that you don't mind sharing publicly? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I think for me, it was—it was one like you know, just with with uh, with, with my brothers. Like I, I thought that um, they they like, I thought I saw them doing something that I didn't like that was you know like to my detriment like that they were like you know like uh you know picking on the, the younger the younger brother type thing when I was like seven eight years old and 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 at that point it it uh it, it upset me to to a point where um you know I withdrew and you know I put in a, a me ver- no, them versus sort of me type of scenario and I just built up all these types of walls type thing and then and it wasn't until um 
you know, I started to engage with, with, with this therapist that, um, you know, he kind of gave me a different perspective. You know, what if you're, you know, how you saw it wasn't actually how it was. And, and it wasn't until, you know, last year or something, I was 33 that I would actually went and had this conversation with my brothers and they're like, and I, and it was, I, I got the whole thing completely. I just misinterpreted the whole situation, but as a seven year old's mind, I, I developed it into something so much bigger and, and, um, more like, I don't know, substantial than what actually was. But for all those years, I had some type of underlying resentment or, you know, something that I was just holding against those, like my two brothers that, um, that, uh, you That's know, amazing. that affected me. And, and it was, again, it was my, it was my perception of the event or the, the incident as opposed to the actual thing itself. Subconsciously, did you consciously think of this or? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I just, I don't know, just as a, as an immature mind, I built mm. it up to be something bigger than it was. And, and I think over time as well, because I just held on to it for so long, it probably manifested into something even more impactful over, over the years. That's and, interesting, you know, like, cause um, I think what you're sort of saying to, uh, to by the way, is quite, quite important for our listeners because, you know, basically our listeners, most of our listeners are, uh, you know, business people, people want to aspire to go into business or yeah. have a dream about going into business. And, you know, of course the show's called The Mentor and mentoring is not just about, you know, telling you how to do a cash flow or how to yeah. use Instagram, but me- mentoring is, um, is also about, um, you know, the mindset. Yeah. And so if you're, you know, if, when you are seeking a mentor listeners, um, and I think what Drew's bearing testimony, testimony for it, it, is that sometimes in order to get the right mindset to be in business, you might need to go and just clear your mind. Yeah unclutter it and that that means talking to a therapist or a psychologist yeah. or whatever they are life coaches it doesn't really matter what they're called maybe not not ready for a business coach yeah, but a life coach someone who can get you in the right mindset mm. to go into business yeah and to clear out or just give you an opportunity to understand how you operate yeah how, how what you how you roll you know what, what's your yeah. deal and yeah. did that help you did it? yeah absolutely and i think you know for me it's it's um it's just about making sure that you don't take one thing that's happening one facet of your life into the next you know like i could be having a, a horrid time in a relationship, but then we'll go to training and take it with me. And then that, that would mean that I wasn't applying myself in the gym or in, in my skills. I was distracted. I'm in a team meeting. I'm thinking about that situation as opposed to the one I'm in, all those types of things. So, you know, speaking to someone, you know, for me, um, really helped with just, you know, I kind of I, just being on top of all facets of my life and making sure that one doesn't then affect the other, because even on a, on a really broken down point, like, if I dropped a ball in a game and I kept thinking about that and holding onto that, meant more often than not, my next involvement was going to be negative as well. So I, I needed to kind of, you know, over, over time, uh, you know, develop the, I guess, the ability to just park something and move on to the next so that I can go into the next task, you know, with like a, you know, what will he say? Like, yeah, your head in the freezer, body mm. in the oven. Like, so our body's working fast, but we've got a cool mind. We're making rash decisions. That's I mean, what, sorry. And that's, and not that's, right. that's what I'm talking yeah. about, relaxing. Yeah. And and just being confident that you've practiced enough. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. you know what you're going to do. It's, it's, it's funny, I've, and I'm a rugby league supporter, and, and, um, and I know some players, um, I've been, I mean, I've been watching players for obviously many years, but um, sometimes I see some players and I think that they're a head case. And mm-hmm. uh, if, if they start the game off great, yeah, they they're just they're gonna have a brilliant game. Yeah, if they start the game off badly, which yeah. is what the opposition tries to get them to do, yeah, sure, like a drop ball, especially if yeah. you're on the wing, yeah, the yeah. Ball, you drop yeah. the ball and yeah. you think they're gonna kick to you all day, exactly, and uh, they're gonna kick to you all day, yeah, yeah, or yeah. if you're fullback, they're gonna kick to you all day, yeah. and they're hoping you're gonna drop that first or second one, yeah, and then they're gonna, and when you when they come down to you when they see you drop, they're gonna say, oh, you fuck with you drop the ball, but yeah. I knew you drop it, and yeah, they're exactly, get in, your head. get in your head, yeah, and it's what's interesting here is you've got to try and relax and as you say, yeah. um, park that. Yeah, yeah. That's just one event. That's yeah. one transaction. Yeah. That's not part of the deal. Yeah. That's, that's And that happens in business all the time. Yeah. Because in business, we constantly get the ball kicked up to us mm-hmm. and lots of times we drop it. Yeah. It's going to happen all the time. And if you start thinking negatively about what you're doing, yeah, then that's going to be how your business is going to be. Yeah. It's going to be negative the whole time. So yeah. that that's like a really interesting mindset or state of mind conversation that we've just had. I, yeah. I, I love that. And I guess what's, that's what I was hoping you'd bring to this as an yeah. sportsman or former sportsman, sure. um, bring it into the show. And I mean, I, I, what we're going to talk about in the second half though, is the opportunity that you received mm-hmm. to take all the stuff you've learned yeah, sure. into becoming a businessman around sport. Yeah. Cause yeah. there's a difference between being a sports person and then being in the business of sport. Yeah. Sure. And, you're one of those guys who've, and you know, there's lots of girls to, to do this as well, but you've transacted and 
from being a sports person into the business of sport, and you've taken those things you just learned, told me about mm-hmm. that you learned as being a sportsman, how to yeah. best express yourself on the field, and you've taken that into E squared. Yeah, sure. And I want to know when we come back from the break, okay, the E squared story. I want to know how you got the opportunity, why you decided to take the opportunity, and what's it all about. Okay, no worries. Just go to the break. Sure. Welcome back to The Mentor, I, I, and I do want to talk about um, Drew's new business, E-Squared, but I'm actually fascinated during the break, we're having a quick chat, and um, I was talking about confidence as a player, and particularly if you're on the wing and the, the opposition's going to uh, single you out and start kicking to you or running at you, and uh, I want to ask you, Drew, have you ever experienced that um, where you just have an absolute fucking shocker? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have. Um, so I, my first four years were in professional career it was uh, at the Reds and then I, I made a change to go to the Western Force and and um, I went there um, although I probably denied it at the time um, I've since spoken about it and like I went there for money the money I was getting um, well supposed to be getting from the, uh, the Western power, Force yeah the five hour days, days yeah, yeah. Um, was was you know too hard for me to to look away from but and there's also another guy my, my best mate Matt Guido was going there for similar reasons I'm sure um, but his were you know, he had a couple more zeros on his reasons. But um, then anyway, going into our first game, there was like a lot of talk around the media and they would saying to Gitz, you know, there's a lot of pressure, you know, with the money that you're coming um, here for and all the rest of it. And he said, no, well, there's no pressure on me. Like Drew's been the one that's been, you know, signed to score tries. So the pressure's all on him. And it was all short. Sure, it was a joke and a bit of banter amongst mates. But I got out to Subiaco Oval as our first game and um, like it honestly couldn't have gone worse for me. I was playing against the Highlanders, um, New Zealand side, and... I would have dropped 10 balls clean, uh, missed tackles. Like my confidence absolutely took a hit. Like, and it, and at no point, I, it didn't get as low at any point in my career other than this one time it, during that match when, when uh, I was late to getting into a huddle and I got there late and I overheard Gitz talking to the team. Basically, Mac, telling, Mac, Mac Gitto, yeah, sorry, Mac Gitto, <clears throat> telling the team, don't pass through the ball. Like, just don't don't give that it to me. That was shattered. Yeah, it shattered me. Um, but I could also understand why because I was that bad. But I think we'd had maybe a couple of extra, a couple of injuries in the outside back, so the the coach just couldn't take me off. On, yeah, so no I mean, one on the bench. He probably would have been better off going to fourteen men. But at that point, like he just, I I guess he was, he had no other option but to keep me out there. Um, and you know, from that moment, I, I learned a lot in that moment because my my instinct at that time was to to isolate myself. I wanted to like. When you come off the field? Yeah, uh, yeah. well, even, you know, on even field. on the field, like when... Yeah, I'm not part of the team. Yeah, or like they'd score a try and, you know, largely because of me or the position I put our team in and I'd want, you know, there'd be a huddle about what we were doing next and I kind of didn't want to engage because I was embarrassed and I, you know, in those moments, like we always talk about being able to look your teammate in the eye and I felt like maybe I'd, I'd let them down that much that, you know, it was um, it was a hard thing for me to do at that point. And, um, but that was where I learned that, um, you know, when things aren't going so well or when... Um, you know, in anything where, um, you know, there's, there's a negative or maybe a negative on a negative, um, it was important for me to get around my team and, and not to isolate myself. And, um, you know, that was a real big, it was, it was sure it was a tough lesson, but it was a really big learn for me going forward in my career because I was 23 at the time. Immature. Yeah. And it was, it was a really big <laughs> moment for me to then, to know that in anything that when you're doing it really tough, it's important to get around someone like we all want to pull away isolate ourselves, whether it's breakups, whether it's, you know, um, you know, something with, with work where you're a little bit embarrassed about you, maybe you're not getting signed on again or getting offered a contract. You want to pull yourself back and isolate yourself. That's the time where it's important to get around people. And well, you feel as though you're, you're not getting the, in a work environment, you're not, yeah. you feel like so you're not being as treated as well as everybody as, else yeah, or as valued or, or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. That's not the time to get shitty yeah. or dirty. Yeah. It's, it's to get around people and ask questions and, and seek that, that help. And well, what do you mean by get around people? So explain that a little bit. Like, um, is it mean, do, because it's important, I guess, in order to get around people, you have to build a community in the first place. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think, you know, it's very, um, I guess, condensed form in, in a sporting sense. You see it all the time. Someone makes an error. There'll be players coming from all parts of the field to get around them, give them a touch, just to yep. let them know <clears throat> we know that you're not that player. Like we're, we've got you, like we've got your back. Yep. Just get your head back in the game. You know, like you're not alone. You see it everywhere. Like whether it's the NBA, rugby league, rugby union, whatever it is, any 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 sporting code, any you know, male or female. If someone makes an error, people get around them. And the more that people 
uh, more that teams show that they do that, I think it's a good indication that they're a really tight knit group and they'll be able to get out their way out of those moments. And, um, but secondary to that, I think it's, you know, after that moment. And for me, the week after that Western force game, um, my coach at the time, John Mitchell, isolated, well, singled me out after training. So we trained for 90 minutes in Cape town and then he just pulled me out and said, right, you've now got to do this. And like, I trained for probably another 90 minutes just by myself whilst all my teammates sat there and watched and cheered when I, I had to catch 30 high balls in a row and I had to like defend driving malls and all sorts of different things that all my team were there, like, you know, like jeering me, almost sort of wanting me to drop the ball and whatever it might've been, but just obviously in jest. But um, it was like, sure, it didn't feel good at the time, but it was, it was what I needed to get past that game. And um, it wasn't because I, you know, catching those balls or doing that, that little bit of extra training made me a better player. It was just helping me get over that mental hurdle that all the mental baggage that I was carrying or that embarrassment that I was carrying from that first game into, you know, so I didn't take it into the next. And, and then tell me how to pull the next time. Well, I got man of the match that next game. Yeah. Awesome. And, and yeah, I mean, and John Mitchell, our coach, you know, of course, like he, that was a big reason as to why, um, you know, I went out and had that performance because he, he recognized that I was probably still holding that and, there's every chance that if I was still holding it going to that next, next game, I was going to have a pretty similar game to the, the, the one I had in the first week. So um, he helped me get over that. And, um, you know, sure, it was a bit – like it was very embarrassing whilst I was going through it. But, again, that that two weeks in terms of um, the learnings I took from that were really um, impactful and beneficial going forward, not just for my sporting career but for anything like, um, you know, having the ability and, and also just like – being able to go out and ask for help and understanding that I'm not particularly good at something, go and ask for help at it. And and not just being aware of what my weaknesses are, but acknowledging them and um and, you know, going forward and, and, and seeking help or, or um you know upskilling yourself so they're no longer a weakness. So that's interesting because let, let's apply it to business now. So yeah. one of the lucky things you have in a in a in a rugby or a foot a sporting environment is you ha- actually have your mentor, you have a coach, mm-hmm. so he's already sitting there, so you know where to go to get that done. Yeah. And also, you got your community, so you got your 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 teammates, sure, and perhaps even a broader community that you know the rest of the club and all the infrastructure yeah. goes around clubs. Because I know I'm involved in the Roosters, and that's what we do in our clubs. And uh, but that that sense of um, talking to your peers, mm-hmm. call it your community. Yeah. Um, I think that's really important um, yeah. and in business. And I also think that and we, we always constantly say this, you've got to find someone who you want to be your mentor. Um, yeah. Whether it's a coach, we call it a coach, mentor, it doesn't really matter. But someone who can actually actually ask the questions of you. Yeah. But you've got to execute at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, he, the coach didn't catch the ball for you. Yeah, no, exactly. He and he, he might not even kick the ball to you. You've got someone else yeah. to do it to you. Yeah, yeah. But, you, but the coach actually uh, built out the structure for you. Yeah. But you did the rest. Sure. So and that's what I say about mentors. It's not don't find a mentor who's going to do that, give you all the answers and do it for you. Yeah. Find the mentor who's going to actually ask, get you to ask the questions of yourself. Yeah, yeah. And that's 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 what mentorship's about. So people who are listening to this show, if you're you know if you're in if you're in business and you've experienced the same sort of thing in business that Drew's talking about when he experienced in his in his rugby days, um, what he's given you is an answer. And the answer is um, make sure that you are part of community. Don't isolate yourself. And then be prepared to have the questions asked of you and find someone who's going to ask you the questions if you don't already have someone to ask you the questions. In his case, in sport, you do. Yeah. But the good thing about it is, you know, like he's learned to take that now into his business world. Yeah, that's it. And that's, that's really important. Let's talk about E-Squared. Mate. Okay, sure. So how, how did, I mean, like, what is E-Squared first? Okay, so uh, it's, a, it's a platform. It's a, uh, it's, so it's E-Squared. It's a fitness on demand platform. Pay-as-you-use model for, for gyms, essentially. So that there's no contract. There's no lock-in. There's nothing. It's just uh, one-off classes or gym floor sessions um, that's anywhere around you. So you, you pull up the app and with the geo tagging. Yeah, no, so, yeah, so you, you download it much like, an, I guess, uh, similar to like an Uber type thing where you, you have your, your payment um, as part of your profile. Yep. And then... It just comes up with the geo map of where you where you're located and all the options around you. We have like different software that integrate with their booking system so that um, you can see what's available and you just make a one-off booking, pay on the spot, and uh, and, and get turn up. And you can use it. I mean, you can use it a couple of times a day if you're that keen to go to a few different sessions. But or you can use it once a year. Like there's there's absolutely no um, and, you, and you pay as you obligation. Go. You just pay as you use it. Yeah. Right. So, and 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 so I so so what you're saying here is that what you're taking is the spare capacity of gyms. Mm-hmm. 
um, and you're building a marketplace of spare capacity of gyms or fitness environments, yeah. building a marketplace of that supply yes. to the demand for people to use those gyms in a in a geographical area. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for, for people who are traveling interstate um, or who don't want to engage in long-term contracts because, like for me, I came back last year understanding that I need to still do some type of fitness because, I mean, it's it's what I've, well, it's what I've known. But I also, my... Uh, experience of fitness is so different to so many other people that I'd never been to a public gym. I'd never trained in a gym where there was a female training because um, I went to an all-boys school and it's trained to a rugby environment where we only had our, our team gyms. So going to like a fitness first for me was <laughs> was really eye-opening, um, you know, much less for some of the kit that some people wear when they go to the gym um, as opposed to, you know, just some of the behaviors in there. And, and um, but what I did was I, uh, I, I started to, I booked, oh, sorry, I, I signed up for a membership for a long period of time and I was keen for a month and I've not probably been back for four or five months, but I'm still paying full price and not taking up a, a treadmill in the gym. So, and you haven't um, cancelled it? No, but, uh. Cause you think it maybe I'll go back. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, th- that's probably the, always the intention, but now I suppose with my job, I'm you know, part of yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what is what I do is I get to go to to many different uh, environments and stuff. So where's so, this, Squared come? Where's the idea come so from? So the the idea comes from is uh, is a Brisbane guy. Uh, yep. His name is Chris Hickey, but he's li- lived in the UK for the best part of the last twenty years. And his partner is of Greek heritage, uh, who's um, a body sculpting champion, uh, Eleni Platitsky. Uh, so yeah, and um, she was paying three different memberships in Soho in London to use the facilities once or twice a week to get herself in the shape that she needed to compete. But, you know, paying that membership for one or two visits a week for her just didn't seem, um, you know, like a worthwhile um, exercise. So they thought the idea of, you know, having something like this, a platform where you just pay as you need it, pay as you use. And and that's where it, where it started. They had, they had the idea maybe three years ago and it launched in November of 2017 in, in London. A year ago. Yeah, a year ago, yeah. And and, and, and how did it go? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going well. So... I mean, the way that the platform looks now is a hell of a lot different to what it did November 2017. Obviously, we're adapting, we're changing to, you know, what, what the market needs and also the technology and all that type of thing as well. But um, it's certainly, it, you know, there's over 300 sites in the London CBD uh, district and, um, you know, with, with plenty of people, well, I mean, we're about maybe 3,000 bookings a month on, on the platform in London. So it's certainly, it's growing and numbers... Uh, on all levels, uh, are, are growing in a in a in a positive, so in a positive way. Well, your inventory, mm-hmm. uh, Eastwood's inventory, is f- going out finding the gyms who want to sign up to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, because um, uh, I mean, I often see gyms when I get like sometimes you go there's just no one there. Yeah. And you think, oh my god, like uh, they're paying rent twenty four hours a day, yeah. seven days a week, the whole for the next ten years. Yeah. Be nice if you could use that spare capacity. But this is like some not dissimilar to Uberization. Of yeah. gyms, I yeah. guess is probably a good way of putting it. I hate yeah. to keep using the word but Uber, but I mean it is what it is. Yeah, sure. It's finding spare capacity. Yeah. And building the marketplace and then telling everybody about it. Yeah. So is part of what why are you running the Australian deal? Like, yeah, so, so how does I, that work? I, I was referred to, to these guys. So when I when I retired, like I said, I, I didn't I retired because I just wasn't having the enjoyment in footy as like I used to. And like anything, your last like your your your, your thoughts and memories on an experience are your, your lasting ones, your most recent ones, your lasting memories, your most recent. And I didn't want, like rugby's given me way too much for me to become that negative bitter guy because I wasn't enjoying my career or, or sure I could still be playing like physically if I was still training in that environment, I could still be playing, but mentally I'd, I'd kind of, I've, I'd exhausted myself to want to apply myself with that amount of discipline. Like, because these guys and girls are playing professional sport these days now, more than even when I first started, it's it's a hell of a lot more difficult than um, uh, than it was back then, and it's just getting you know even more so with social media and expectations on all these guys and girls that straight away from eighteen to thirty five, we just make that we have this expectation of them to make the right decision every single day of their life for you know for the next fifteen years. Um, inside and outside, and unrealistic of the- expectations that we wouldn't on the outside world make ourselves. Yeah, um, and that's not even, that's not just in the sport itself. That's outside yeah, the sport outside as well. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, so all these things, I just wasn't prepared to continue to, to do that. Like I just, um, I wouldn't be able to play at that same level or apply myself to that same level. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just retire. But, how, but did they just ring you up or how does that work? Does you've got a manager in that? No, so that? I, um, 
uh, it was actually a former coach of the Brumbies, never a coach of mine. His name's Tony Ray. He was doing some work. He's done some work with London Broncos up in, uh, former coach of the London Broncos up in the UK. Um, but also was doing some work with the investment around this company. And he heard that they were wanting a general manager here in Australia. Um, and he just referred them to me and said, Who I did think, you know yeah. him? Um, I mean, I, I knew him. Yeah. I, I, I knew, there, I, no, well, I didn't. Like I was just like, when I, when I came back to Australia, I did some media work. Um, just because I did that before I retired. And so I picked up a, a two-year contract with Fox Sports. So I do that as well, like the commentary stuff for rugby. But um, I was then just – I didn't know necessarily what I wanted to do. And, and for me, my the, the, what I needed to do was um, – it was just too broad a question because I didn't have a passion outside of rugby. I, I wasn't the type that grew up wanting to do this or, or, or the other. I So, like, I lived my passion. So anything that I started to look at in terms of what I, do, what I wanted to do after rugby – it paled in comparison to what I just finished. So it was in some ways it was unfair. So what I started to do was just through different networks and contacts that I'd developed through my rugby career, I would go and sit in or, you know, broking or, or whatever it might've been just to, you know, real estate or anything just to see whether I was, whether I liked it. And so what I back actually found you, myself what, doing. And by the way, what you're doing is you're going back to the way you grew up as a kid. I'm happy to go to any school. I'll yeah, try anything out. Yeah. And, and do that and, and, and be that guy. And, and, uh, I, I understood pretty quickly that I was going from the top of the tree in terms of being a senior player, a leader, where your voice has a lot of weight in an environment in footy, to knowing that I was just going to go back down to the bottom of the run and uh, in whatever I was going Start to do. Again. And and th- and that was fine. Like there was a lot of things, and there still is a lot of things that I do day to day now in my business that I don't have any idea of. But there are a lot of other things that I have a tremendous amount of an idea that I can impart on my team and also the situation or, or what I'm doing and. Um, and I, I know for me, it's just having the confidence that I do bring a lot to the table, but understanding that there are things that I need someone else to bring to the table for me because I don't have that skill set yet. And, and I think there's no shame in acknowledging that you're not strong in something, but what you do, like what you should do, or what I have done is, is I'll employ people in my team that complement my weaknesses because there's no point having five people that are strong at the same thing. Like I'm not good at some areas. I need people that are going to help me with that. And, and, and likewise, I'm my, the things that I'm strong at, um, you know, hopefully I can complement what they're not necessarily so strong at. And as a team, we can go out and, and, and achieve the objectives that these guys are giving us. And so I was referred to them, um, you know, uh, and it started over email, a couple of Skype calls um, from, you know, between here in Sydney to, to London uh, liking the idea, understanding the concept. And they, so in January of this year, they flew me up to London. I went into the office and for the best part of 10 days, I basically just ghosted the, you know, everyone in the company, different people each day, but ghosted them around to see what was about, how they did it, how they pitched to gyms, going in and actually working out at different gyms and just getting an understanding of what the whole business was about. And, um, and at the end of the, the 10 days, they offered me the role of general manager and, Sure, it sounds good, right? I mean, going straight out of rugby and becoming a general manager of this company that hasn't even launched in Australia, like it sounds great. But when I got to Australia, I thought, shit, this is like pretty significant. Like, and it was, you know, pretty overwhelming, um, you know, if I was being honest. And I thought, you know, have I bitten off more than I can chew, uh, all the rest of it. But then I just sort of, I, I took some a couple of days and, and just sort of tried to simplify it. And I thought, these guys have given me an objective. The objective is to launch it here in Australia, in Sydney first. Um, you know, by the end of the year and, uh, you know, with then the intention to launch in, in Melbourne and Brisbane, you know, soon after that. And so I thought, okay, I've got, I now have an objective much like I did in footy. Now what I need to do is formulate a game plan as to how I can achieve that. And then the other thing that they're asking me to do with the task was to, to build a team and I know teams and throughout my whole career, there was no hiding at any point of any of your weaknesses, whether it be from the commentators, uh, journalists, Fans. Fans, but my peers as well. Like you go into a team meeting and there's there's nothing more confronting than being in front of your peers and being singled out either by a teammate or a coach or whatever saying, what happened here on the screen? Like what were you thinking here? What should you have done? Like and all that. And there's, there's no there's no hiding from that. And and sure, it may, may feel really uncomfortable at the time and you're like, and you didn't know where the game's going. You're like, shit, okay, it's coming up, it's coming up. And sure enough, you, you, you get exposed but you you know that it's not to embarrass you. It's about you know how to make sure we get you not to make the same 
decision or, or error if presented the same opportunity going forward. Um, so me identifying and being okay with uh, um, or being aware of my weaknesses is something that I'm actually I'm more than okay with. I, I think I get strength from um, from ide- identifying my weaknesses and one asking for someone to help me with getting better at it so that um, it it's no longer a weakness of mine. Um, but also to just asking help from someone that can help, uh, you know, I guess execute that task because I'm not equipped to do it. And like, there's no shame in that. I think there's shame if there's, there's, there's more shame in, in trying to hide my weakness and doing a really subpar uh, performance in trying to execute something that I'm not actually that good at rather than just being okay with saying, you know what, I need your help. Like, can you come and help either come in and do this task because I just don't have that skill set, or can you help give me that understanding of how I can do it better? And, um, you know, and so for me now, like when I'm, I'm in a, like I'd, I'd never been in an, an interview to get a job, right? Um, I'm now interviewing people to give them jobs and, and sure their experience when they leave an interview with me may be completely different to any like actual real life interview situation, but but at the same time, I know what the type of people that I need. I know the the the, um, the role that I need to fill, and I just I also I back myself in understanding, um, you know, uh, having a good feel for someone if they're going to be able to fit in my team, and if um, you know, I lean on the team that I've got in London to say, these are the CVs. Do they you know are they qualified? Are they you know do they refer well? All that type of thing, and then from the rest from that, it's about me understanding and and backing my. Um, I don't know, like just backing what I, what it is that I have and what I need to get out of this particular role. So and where's these squared now? When do you launch? So we launched on uh, you launched already, se- yeah? September fifth. Yeah, yep. we launched on September fifth. Um, and how many how many gyms you launched with? Uh, sixty five. Sixty five. And, yep. and can I, can I ask you this? A really important part of this is mm-hmm. the, the 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 BDM group or whatever you want to call them, your sales group. Yeah, is going out getting these gyms to sign yep. up. Um, how hard is it to get gyms to sign up? Uh, I mean, it, is it, is it's, it's the same different. as London. Is it, they, they have the do Australian gym owners have the same mentality? As... No, a little bit different. And we're finding Sydney to to Melbourne is a little bit different. Um, Sydney, uh, I mean, this is um, any number of different experiences that we're having. Like sometimes people are just too time poor, um, which is you know an, an interesting concept because I don't know necessarily if any of us are time poor. We're just poor at managing time and. Mm. Um, you know, and that's not having got anyone in particular because that's, that's, you know, I'm always saying oh, I've got no time, but there are other times where I get a hell of a lot more done in a day than I would on those days where I say I've got no time. Um, but so when I, when I, with my, my sales team, what I say is like, you just can't take any of this personally. Like if someone's not getting back to an email or uh, they don't have necessarily any time when you go and do a session at their gym, it's nothing personal. It's just that, um, you know, they've got, there's probably plenty of, plenty of things going on in their business life that is just taking focus away from a cold call email or someone just rocking up and pitching something else to them again. Cause I'm sure they would get so many things pitched to them on a weekly or a monthly basis that, you know, it's just another thing that's coming across, you know, across their desk. I said, so we've just got to find ways to have a different approach or whether it's a referral because referrals, I think are really strong. Um, you know, if I just go up to a gym and say, hi, you know, like I've got this thing, I feel like, you know, there's a great opportunity here for a partnership or whatever. Sometimes that just falls flat or they just say, oh, thanks, but maybe come back in a month's time, whatever it might be. And as opposed to when you know someone from their gym or, you know, someone that they respect from a different gym or whatever says, you know what, I think you should, you know, meet this guy, sit down, have a coffee with him, whatever it might be. It's always much more, uh, has a lot more weight in it, a referral than just a, a cold call. But you can't always get referrals. You can't always just wait on someone to help you with a referral. But so I just sort of, you know, what I say to my team is just like, it's nothing personal and it's their, it's their prerogative as well to say no to something like it, just because we feel like it's a great thing for them. doesn't mean to say that they see it the same way. Like we've got to make, we just got to find a way to come in. And you're not going to get everyone anyway. Exactly. Of course. Absolutely. And, but even like with, with some of them, it's just about trying to find a different approach or, or a different way and, or, or whatever it is, but. It's it's all about just so what sort of team you're building. You've got your sales team. What, what's, yeah. In terms of the software and the the platform or the marketplace, yeah. That that's all delivered to you. Isn't yeah. It? So that we've got a full time tech team based out of out of Athens in Greece, right. and uh, so they they're around the clock, you know, working away at um, uh, at all the software and and any like little glitches that might come up or any different like little changes that we feel 
um, the app needs just to make is sure it, the, it runs the really well. Global app, or yeah, the, so yeah, yeah, they they work on the London and and uh, Australian, Australian app, app yeah, yes. all, all together. So right. a lot of um, because it literally started with me in February, and then I've I've uh, had two employees uh, Sydney based uh, since that time. Whereas um, and one in Melbourne uh, who's who came on uh, three months ago, but in the next two weeks i've got um three more people joining my team so one one more in melbourne and two more here in sydney so we're you know we're sort of starting to grow as a business is growing and and like any startups and like i'm sure a lot of the listeners would understand is that you know sometimes you have to wear many hats at the very beginning you, you although you're, you're employed as a sales role um we're, we're kind of doing everything at the moment um until we get to a point where we've got enough like the resources are to a point where we can employ people to have you know like um so i'll or the next, I guess, role that I'm going to film, which I'm interviewing for at the moment, is is a marketing role to oversee the whole marketing for all of here in Australia. And um, so our, our team is growing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, do you go and see people like say, um, like they're 45 guys? I yep. mean, it seems like they've got some great success. I mean, I don't know the numbers, but look, it seems that yeah. way. I mean, they've got I don't know five, six hundred. I don't know how many gyms they've got around the world. Yeah. Do you go and talk to people like Daniel Con, like Daniel, who uh, he played for the Roosters and yeah, I know yeah. quite well, and he did, he's done, he's not there anymore, but. Uh, he was a big part of their success in the early yeah, days. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think you know Dan's. I think with any time and Orange Theory now, and as well yeah. as many other things that yeah. he's got going. Um, so I, I do don't you know. Do you guys like that? I uh, we try to. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, I don't know Dan personally. I mean, I know a few. Like we have a few mutual friends and things. But it's about for me. It's about trying to get in front of as many people in this industry that have you know knowledge and understanding of things. Because although I've been in health and fitness for fifteen years, I kind of almost haven't either. Um, a lot of what I've been doing has been in a team environment, a very isolated kind of um, private type environment, as opposed to going out into these public gyms and and understanding the trends and the habits and all that sort of stuff. So I'm learning all of this, and you know, of course, I, I like to to seek that um, that knowledge and, and understanding from from people out there. And uh, you know, and I've sat down with uh, the Adam Gilchrist and, and these guys of of F45. Um, has you know, he got has Gilly got an F45 franchise? So I think he was part. He's one part of the, the original, was he? No, not not Adam Gilchrist, the the cricketer. Oh, right, right. The, the co-founder oh, okay, of Forty Five is also Adam Gilchrist. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, same name, but uh, same name, but yeah. Because um, quite because I know quite a number of play, football ex football yeah. players have actually got their Forty Five franchises. Yeah, same, yeah, some of my some of my ex teammates do uh, both here in Sydney and in Queensland. And, yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's obviously a successful model, and yeah. um, you know, so it's it's about trying to go in and and, and speak to a, a number of these guys, and, and sure, we've got a few F Forty Fives on on the app, and but you know, each of them a franchise, so it's a, it's a. Each one does it. Each one of does their capacity, own thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, based on their capacity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so for us as well, I mean, we give all the control to our partner, so they can control their price points. We don't have any say over that. Um, they control their capacity. So rather than saying there's 30 spots in an F45 class and putting all 30 on the gym, they might know that they only run. They run at 25 every 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 uh, every session. So they could, if they want, they can only offer five spots available on on our platform. So, price points, availability, and capacity is all controlled by our partner. Um, they, they determine the price. And, and yeah. what's your your financial model? So, what do you we, take? We percentage? take a twenty percent clip off the top of, off, of not any, from, not just from the, the booking, user. not from the user. No, no, no. So from the from the from the, the say for example, they put um, you know a session on for twenty five dollars. Yeah. We take twenty uh, percent clip off the top, and then. And uh, and that that's it. So, so it's a volume game. So I mean, there's twenty percent of twenty five bucks is you know five bucks. So um, you need you need lots of these. Yeah, is a volume game. So yeah. who's funding this? I mean, where, where's the funding come from? The overall thing. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, we've just closed a, a round of investment. Right. Um, uh, literally two weeks ago, which is uh, at I don't know two point five million US that, that has just Where'd come in. Where'd you close it here? Or overseas? Uh, yeah, overseas. It's so, London based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So London and um, also there's some investment that's come out of Asia as well. Uh, so the intent of the, the companies, um, obviously Sydney now, Melbourne and Brisbane, but then there's planning in place now to then go to, to New York and a couple of the other major cities in the States as well as Hong Kong, Singapore as well. So there's there's plans and development uh, for development and, and expansion. But, you know, like anything, I think, you know, you've got to get something well, we've got to get Sydney great mm. before we go to Melbourne and, and likewise then get Melbourne before we go to Brisbane and before we even try and go to tackle your New Yorks, Hong Kong, Singapore's, like we've got to make sure that our numbers are, are at a point where, you know, we can 
we're almost bragging about them to you know to to our next. Uh, they're forty five are brilliant. That I mean, every time I turn yeah. around, I was hearing four hundred, seven hundred. They're in LA, the thousand. Like yeah. you know, like, I don't know whether any of it's true or not. Yeah, but they're great at promoting their numbers. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, and 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 also it became a like a it, it grew a life of its own. Yeah. No one seemed to be, has been able to replicate replicate it. that. Yeah, um, look, it's because there's lots of um, like Danny Green, for example, is involved yep. in um, twelve, 12 rounds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's lots of guys who are involved um, in these things, but it seems like the first move always seems to do best. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I know that goes against the grain of the lots of uh, commentators and writers who write about uh, don't be the first, be but be second or third. Yeah, yeah. But um, but but you know, F forty five really was the first mover. Yeah, um, yeah. So I I I guess. Are you guys the first mover in this um, spare capacity space? I mean, yeah, I mean, to, to a degree. So there's there's other platforms that we get likened to, so like your ClassPass, but they're a membership-based model. So um, the other thing that we, we say to, to our partners is that any any booking that's made through our platform is a potential lead for you guys. Mm. So, I mean, you get their data, but they're also, they're not a member of us, so they're not bound to us. So there's every likelihood if they like your facility or they their workout, they might join out. Mm. Um, and... Whereas, uh, you know, some of the other membership-based models, um, because they're paying a monthly fee to be a part of that membership-based model, that gives them access to different gyms. There's, as, well, I guess the likelihood of them signing up to be a member of that particular gym is is less likely because... And also, like, if I own the gym that I'm... If I own the gym that signed up to E-squared mm-hmm. um, and someone comes into my gym, it gives me an opportunity then to offer them a private 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 yeah. lesson or whatever yeah. it is it might be you know yeah something which, just to get them over the line to, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, to yeah, get yeah. them in a free, a free private yeah. thing whatever and uh, yeah it's so not, it gives them an opportunity to start marketing, marketing their business if, they, if yeah. they think this way I mean I think that I, I, I love marketplaces of any type um, mm-hmm. and so you know, E squared I have to ask you where's the name come from by the way uh, so it's just exercise squared because you know yeah, guess, yeah. Um, yeah, so many power yeah the offering in terms of you know what you can do bar Yoga, Pilates, you know, boxing, anything, cycle, any type of um, uh, of training. Like the breadth and variety of, of what we can offer is, you know, it's it's something you just can't get by going to one facility. And uh, and I think that's, you know, for me, variety in my training is is key. And um, you know, I always get bored. Yeah, yeah. And if if I, if I just want to do one yoga class a week, then I jump on the app and I do it mm. all. You know, it's so it makes sense, you're right? Too, yeah. Because you know, there's a lot of people. <laughs> you're right. Actually, that's a good one. I mean, I know that I should do yoga. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I used to do a lot, but I know I should do it. But I'm not going to go every day. Yeah. But uh, I know maybe if I could squeeze one in a week, yeah. that would be probably okay. Yeah. And all the other shit I do. So, yeah, um, yeah, you're right. You don't, But I'm not likely to go and sign up at a place where I have to pay, you know, 150 bucks a month. Yeah, sure. To do one class a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm just going to, even though I can afford it, I, I'm just yeah. not going to do it. Yeah, of course. I just feel stupid. Yeah. Um, whereas yeah. if I could just go to one class yeah. and just pay as I go, that makes sense to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah, I mean that's so now we now that we've launched, um, you know, our biggest thing is just to make people aware of it, and that's when you know coming up with different marketing uh, plans and strategies and and collabs, um, you know, that's where that's what the, the phase we're in now is, I guess for a long period of time before launch, we're in the partner acquisition phase. Now we're in that con- consumer acquisition. We need to get it out there in front of people, but not just you know like I guess people's habits is understanding that, you know, we we need to hear it a number of times, whether it be on radio or see it in a newspaper or whatever. Uh, on your Instagram feed or whatever it might be, that gets us to a point where we download the app, but then we probably need to see it another six or seven times before we actually then go and use mm. the app. And mm. and we feel that when people use it, they see how simple it is, and uh, you know obviously the what they're getting from our partners because we're we're also really although we we need to get partners on, we're also really quite selective as to who we we get on there as well. We don't want to just make it anyone and everyone in terms of the the facilities that are available. Um, you know, we want to make sure that the offerings are, uh, are of a, a standard that we want quality. to maintain quality. Yeah. And so the whole experience from the moment they download the app, use the app, make their booking, go and experience their workout and, uh, and everything like that. We Do want to make reviews? sure. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's reviews as well. So, um, and what we find is that when we get people to that point is that that's when they become, um, users more engaged. More, more and so, yeah, yeah. So I, I give everyone an opportunity to ask me a question. You got one for me? Yeah, well, for me, I, I think, you know, in, in life or in business itself, what would be at, at any point, um, you know, what would be the best advice you've ever been given? I've been given quite a lot of different types of advice, but uh, hmm, that's a bloody good question. Uh, well, once I was told by uh, – this is probably not relevant to you at this stage, but by Kerry Packer, if there's money on the table, you take it off. So don't, don't 
In other words, just don't keep looking at the money trying to do better. Yeah. Take the money off the table no matter what happens. If the money is on the table, you take it off the table. Sure. Even if you don't think even if you don't think it's enough, you take it off the table. Yeah. But that's probably not really relevant to you. Um another one that um at this stage, another one that, that um Kerry always told me was that um in terms of your messaging, keep the message, whether it's on Instagram or wherever it is. Yeah. Um in those days there was no Instagram, it was television. Yeah. Um, but keep your message simple. Sure. Really simple. Yeah. And he said, people want to know what the thing is you're offering. Yeah. Um, but not in a, not in a physical sense, in an emotional sense. So sure. yeah. what emotion are you playing to? Mm-hmm. How much it costs and where do you get it from? Okay. There's just those three things. Yeah. Yeah. He said, don't, don't, don't go doing some fancy advertising campaign and get all carried away. Like you can do this with Instagram today, for example. Yeah. yeah. Get very carried away with Instagram. Mm-hmm. You want, you want to know clearly what your message is. Um, and in an emotional sense, yeah. not in, oh, I'm, I'm yellow brick road or wizard in those days. We're lending you money. No, no, we're helping you buy a house. Yeah. 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 So what is it that your fitness E squared message? Yeah. What is that? Is it convenience or is it lifestyle or it's not cheap gym membership or uh, yeah, it's yeah. not the, it's, is it cleverness? I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. You have to think. Absolutely, yeah. And that was probably the, probably the best message I ever got. The best yeah. uh, bit of advice I ever got relative to the question you just asked me. Sure. What is the emotional thing that. Your business, your product or your service yeah. is satisfying. You sure? And make sure that that is clearly articulated in your marketing. Yeah. Everything you do, every single time, and it's always the same thing, always the same thing. Yeah. Because building a brand, which is what E-Squared's trying to do, sure. and what you're trying to do, it's about layering, lots yeah. of layers. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's going to be done often, and it's going to be over and mm. over and over, and it doesn't stop. It just keeps going. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, we did it – and once I got that message clear, once I knew it was about satisfying someone's dream, yeah, putting him in the house, yeah, sure, the way he wanted, which is all about your security and yeah. you know your family and all that sort of stuff, all that emotional stuff. Um, I just kept layering that in every opportunity I had. So you know, I do in those days. I did stuff on the Footy Show. I did stuff on the Melbourne foot, AFL Footy Show with Eddie Maguire. We did sponsorship on State of Origin. We everything we did was about um, that message. Yeah. So I don't know what. I mean, you got to go. Yeah, yeah, think, what's your message? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that, yeah. the question I would have for you. Don't answer it now. But no, the, of course. And if I was your mentor, yeah. I'd say to you, Drew, what is your message? Yeah, sure. It's not about uh, the app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about what the app delivers to what, me. Yeah, exactly. What it can do. And, and yeah, I mean, and like you're saying, then just consistently, just keep that. Never stop. That's it. it it's, yeah. And you and don't expect it to happen. Don't say, oh, I'm going to spend a hundred thousand dollars because it won't happen like that. It's got to be little. All the little layers are much more powerful than all the big layers. Yeah, sure. It's a bit like preparing. It's your preparation. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. like all the small things you do in a game. Yeah. All the small things you do in your preseason. Yeah. All the small things you do in the week before yeah. the game, and all the small things you do the night before the game, and sure. the morning of the game, and yeah. then on the game. It's all those little things. Yeah. That's how you build your brand. Yeah. Okay. And um, and. You got to know your message. Your Absolutely. message has got to. You got a message. You got to hit home. So, what is it that people who are likely to use your um, service? What is it they're actually trying to do? I mean, are they are they really interested in an app, or are they really interested in uh, spare capacity in gyms? No, they can give shit about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what it is. You, yeah. Maybe you need to go and talk to a psychologist or something, or someone who can do a bit of an analytics for you. Just ask around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, hackathons, internal yeah. hackathons. Okay. I mean, get, you know, if you're leading your team, yeah. sit and have a half a day and say, okay, let's work this let's out. Let's work it out, yeah. What are the five it, words yeah. that best describe it? Yeah, yeah. And then work out how to articulate that message. Cool. Mate, this is, I, I love this. I, I, I like the fact that I, to see, to be frank with you, I love to see a sportsman who's making something of their life after sport. Okay, thank you. Um, and great credit to your parents for that and your schooling and all the other things that yeah. have influenced you in your, in your life. But, you know, great credit to you for uh, taking that leap of faith, being open. And uh, for me, I love marketplaces because I like the way marketplaces today capitalise on spare capacity. We talk about productivity mm-hmm. in, in, in a nation like Australia. The only way we become more productive is by using our spare capacity at a greater level. That's the only way. It's not about um, an individual working harder and getting paid the same money. Yeah. It's about taking the spare capacity and turning that into dollars. Sure. So marketplaces do that. I love the squared concept. Good luck to you, mate. Great. Thanks very much. Cheers.